a brief mention about the season of Lent. We're obviously in the season of Lent. We've been working through the Gospel of John. Now, during the season of Lent, this 40-day period, we remember when Christ went to the wilderness prior to starting his ministry. He retreated for 40 days. He fasted. He prayed. Uh, and we know that he defeated the uh, enemy's attempts to tempt him with sin. Um, part of the season of Lent is fasting. And so we draw close to the Lord in fasting. Uh, typically, some of us uh, give up either meat or sweets or television or some of us Facebook. Anyone give up Facebook for Lent? One hand. Awesome. You are a stronger person than most of us. And so the idea there is that we would draw close to the Lord. We, we remove something, not that it's an idol per se, but certainly some of these things can become idols, but we remove something that's near and dear to us, and we replace that with time and prayer, seeking the Lord. And so during the season of Lent, our sermon series revolves around that idea of giving up, that idea of fasting. So as I said, we're in the Gospel of John, and we're looking at what Christ is asking us to give up, or rather what Christ declares and then uh, compels us to give up. And today we're going to be talking about giving up slavery. And so you'll see that if you look at the PowerPoint behind me, we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Uh, It's in the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel. It's very unique. It's unlike the other three. John has a unique perspective, uh, and uh, it's chalk-filled with goodness. I said three weeks ago that if I, for example, was arrested smuggling Bibles into China, which is illegal, And uh, if I was caught, and for some reason one of the guards was nice enough to give me a Bible, or say, well, no, out of the 66 books of the Bible, pick two. I'll rip two sections out and give them to you. The Gospel of John would be one, and then I'd probably pick the book of Romans. So John uh, is, uh, it's a great book. We know that the Apostle John is, um, he's brothers with James. They're they're the sons of Zebedee. Uh, John is one of the 12 disciples. And uh, in fact, he's Jesus' cousin and referred to as the beloved disciple. And so this morning, we're going to be in chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Would you read along with me, please, while we read God's word? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who sins, or rather everyone who commits sin, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the inerrant authoritative word of God. Join me in prayer as we commit this text and our time to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for what you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you revealed Christ in it. Lord, it's our desire this morning that the Holy Spirit would be at work, that you would take God's word, what God has to say to us, and that you would root it deep down in our hearts. 
Lord, that you would loosen our necks, that you would expand our hearts, that we might be like the people on the day of Pentecost after hearing Apostle Peter, that we might be cut to the heart. Lord, would you be at work in us? Would you encourage us? We are all in need, always in need of encouragement. Encourage us, correct us, discipline us. We're needed. We thank you for your holy scripture. We commit this time in this text to you, and we ask that your will be done. In Christ's precious and most holy name, amen. So my question for you this morning is, what does the word slavery make you think of? Slavery, think about that. When I think of slavery, I think of those who lived before slavery was abolished. Now, perhaps slavery might be on some of your radars. The movie Lincoln just came out a couple months ago. Uh, I didn't watch the Oscars. I think it might have won some awards. It was a great movie, but before the 13th Amendment was ratified on December 6, 1865, before that, when a slave had obtained his or her freedom, often if the slave purchased their own freedom, they paid their master to gain their freedom. They were given what was called freedom papers or certificates of freedom. They didn't dare go anywhere or travel anywhere without these certificates, lest someone think they were a runaway slave. You see, what they would do with this freedom paperwork is take it to the local deeds office so their name could be recorded. Their, their, their master, their former master, would give them something written, handwritten, just a plain piece of paper, and so they would take it to the local deeds office. There their name would be recorded, a description of their person, um, skin color, hairstyle, hair texture, uh, visible scars, anything that would identify them as that free slave. And so I think, about, I think about this slave who has gained their freedom. I think about that slave who has paid their master to gain their freedom and then possibly uh, getting caught by someone else and mistaken as a runaway slave. I can't imagine a thought of that. So perhaps for some of us, when we think about slavery, that's what we think about. We think about slavery here in America. Some of us think of automatically uh, Martin Luther King's speech, I have a dream. While other of us, others of us, we think about political freedom. Perhaps maybe running through your mind is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet others of us, we think of freedom of religion. Now, there are some who want freedom from religion. Uh, we think about freedom from debt, freedom from those credit card bills, freedom from oppression, freedom from the man, uh, Teenagers, prisoners, and soldiers often spend great deals of time thinking about freedom. And I'm not saying teenagers are prisoners, although a lot of times they feel that way. Um, But nonetheless, when we think about freedom, we usually equate freedom to being free from something. Like I said, free from debt, free from a weight, free from some unwanted burden, something that weighs us down. So what ought to be abundantly clear to us is that the human soul desires to be free. There's something in us that desires to be free. Today in our text, we're going to learn that mankind is enslaved, all of mankind, and the chains of our sin slavery are only broken by Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We are all enslaved, and the chains of our sin slavery can only be broken by Jesus Before we dig into chapter 8, our portion of 31 through 38, we've got to get a lay of the land. Let's figure out where we're at. So at the beginning of chapter 38, here's what we need to know. Jesus is in the temple. He's speaking, teaching, preaching. And in the midst of this, 
uh, some scribes and Pharisees, some religious guys, they drag in a woman caught in adultery. I've always been perplexed by this. How does one catch someone in adultery? Perhaps they were looking in the window. In my mind, just as guilty as the woman who was caught in sin. But nonetheless, they bring her before Jesus and they say, hey, the law of Moses says to stone her to death. What do you say? They're trying to see how Jesus would handle this if he would conflict with the law of Moses. Jesus doesn't answer them. He bends down and he writes something in the sand. The text doesn't tell us what he writes. They're still asking, what are you going to do? What would you do with this woman? He stands up and he says to the crowd, let you without sin throw the first stone. Whichever one of you has no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Then he bends down again and he writes something in the sand. And the text tells us that by the time he got done writing in the sand the second time, that from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. They dropped their stones and they walked away. And here Jesus is left with this woman and he says, no one's here to condemn you and neither do I. Go and sin no more. He frees her from her sin bondage. He sets her free. And then the text tells us, we see that in verse 12, Jesus begins this sermon. He begins continuing teaching. In fact, the text tells us that he's inside the treasury, inside the temple. And in verse 12, if you want to take a look, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then if we fast forward to verse 30, it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So this is where we find ourselves in verse 31. The text tells us, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So we're still in the temple, and now there's a group that had believed in him. In fact, the text says, many believed in him. So Jesus addresses this group. And what does he say? Let's look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly disciples. If you abide in my word. So what is this abide? While the principle of abiding in God's word, or uh, the understanding of that is a heavy thing, it's it's a big thing. The word abide itself simply means to remain. So what Jesus is saying is, if you remain in my word... You are truly my disciples. Remain in my word. So what is this word that he's telling them they need to remain in? The word that if they remain in will allow them to know the truth, and then this truth will set them free. And what is it they need to be set free from? Well, if we turn to John chapter 15, if we fast forward and go to John chapter 15, if you want to join me, we can do it. It's a short journey. Verse 4 and 5. Here Jesus is talking about abiding again. This is what Jesus says, John 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus says, abide in me. This is starting to make sense. If we remember what the very beginning of this gospel, what John says in John 1.1, does anyone know what that says? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says that the Word became flesh. So Jesus is the Word. So what Jesus is saying is, if you remain in me, 
you are truly my disciples, if you remain in me. So Jesus is the word. Furthermore, in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he's talking about his gospel, he says that the entire of his writings were written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you might have life in his name. You see, the word is the sum of the teaching. It's the sum of his words. It's the sum of the words of Jesus. It is Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the word. We're to abide in him, remain in him. But what does it mean to be in Jesus? To remain in him so that we can be true disciples. What does this mean to remain in him? What it means is to have the light of life, to walk in the light as he is in the light. He just said in verse 12 at the beginning of this uh, teaching or preaching session with those in the temple that he is the light of the world. So to be in Jesus is to walk in the light, to run from darkness. It means that your soul is satisfied. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, the, Jesus confronting the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, and he talked about living water, her soul being satisfied. This is what it means to be in Christ. It means to be satisfied in him. So it's easy to say, well, to be in the word, abide, remain in the word. I just need to read my Bible and I'm a true disciple. There are people every day throughout the world, many of them secular scholars who read God's word every day, but they're unregenerate. They don't know Christ. So Jesus isn't saying, that's what I'm talking about to be a true Christian. He says, you've got to be in me, to remain in him, to absorb him. He's the light of life. It's me, to be in him means to crave him, to no longer desire darkness. It means the light has shined on you. It's gripped your soul. It warms you. It holds you close. It is living water. It nourishes your soul. You are refreshed by Jesus. You are satisfied in Jesus. He feeds you with bread and living water. To abide in Jesus is to remain in Jesus, to be in Christ, to be completely satisfied with Jesus. Now, this is what Jesus is telling those many who had believed in the temple. He says, to be my true disciple, you have to abide, remain in me, in my word. You must be consumed with me. You must be satisfied with me. And so there's another question that arises. If he says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Does that mean that there are those who aren't truly his disciples? You see, there's, there's three types of people. There's the non-disciple, the non-believer. There's the fake and phony disciple. And then there's the true disciple. The fake and phony disciple does not truly abide in God's word. Now, this is what we need to understand. There is a lie that says that there are stages of growing into becoming a disciple. For example, you're saved, you're a baby Christian, you're a mature Christian, and then now you become a disciple. Jesus doesn't say, you become my disciples. He says, you are my disciples. If you abide in me, if you're in me, if you're in my word, you are truly my disciples. So those who are not true disciples, they do not abide. They do not remain. They were never really in Jesus, in the word. They're like seeds sown on bad soil. When the sun comes and when the weed comes, it chokes them out. 
They sit in church for months, for years, five, ten years, whatever it might be, and when their faith is tested, they're gone. They abandon Christ for the cares and riches of the world. Money, fame, power, sex, whatever have you. They were never really in the word. They never really abided in Christ. True disciples like Peter say, Lord, to whom shall I go? To whom shall I go? You are living water. You satisfy me. True disciples remain. They stay. They don't go away. They stay in God's word. They stay in Christ. Christ is their home. He's their rest. He's their joy. This is a true disciple. And those who do not abide in God's word, they are not truly saved. If they don't abide in God's word, they are not truly forgiven. They are not true disciples. Let's see what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, and then something will happen. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is he talking about? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. Who knows this verse? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What Jesus is saying is if you abide in me, if you live in me, if you rest in me, you're my true disciple, you will know truth, you'll know me, and truth, me, I will set you free. So true disciples are in Jesus. They abide, they stay, they live, they rest in Jesus, and then they know him. They know the truth. And then the truth sets them free. But free from what? How do those listening to Jesus respond? Verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Okay, when I first read this, I wanted to hit myself upside the head. What? Say what? We've never been slaves? Does anyone know anything of the Old Testament or the history of the Israelite people? That's all they were ever in, is in bondage. They spent 400 years in Egypt, in slavery. Not only Egypt, but they were in bondage to Assyria, to Babylon, to Greece, to Syria, and now under Roman rule. The nation of Israel was forced to pay taxes. It was a subdued nation in slavery to its conquerors. This is why they longed for a Messiah. We understand that the Messiah was Jesus who's come to save us from our sin, save us from God's wrath, but they thought a Messiah was a political savior who would save them from any one of those conquering nations. So what is this guy talking about? Hey, he says, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that they say, how are you talking about the truth will set you free? We don't need to be free. We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been slaves. Well, you see what, the, what these Jews are doing is they're speaking of an inward liberty. Their birthright, if you will. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You remember God calls in Genesis 12, Abraham to go. He makes a great nation. From, I'll make a great nation from you. Abraham was the first to begin as a people to begin worshiping God. And then we see God grow a great nation. And he's still growing a great nation from Abraham. Those in Christ are Abraham's descendants. Romans tells us. So they think their genealogy makes them okay. Well, we do the same thing. How many people say, well, 
my mom's a Christian, so I'm a Christian. My parents go to church every Sunday, so I'm a Christian. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, well, they all went to church. In fact, my family's been going to the same church for, for 60 years. That means I'm a Christian. No, that's not what Jesus says. How does Jesus respond? Jesus says, verse 34, he's saying, listen to me. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He's telling them and he's telling us, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. You see, our wills have been affected by the fall. Romans 5 tells us that in Adam we've all sinned. We've received a sinful nature and we sin by nature and choice. It's something we choose. Our wills are bound by the chains of sin. If you think of the human will, think of it this way. Think of a man on a ship chained to an oar. Is he really truly free or is he bound? Is he bound to something? And so our wills are bound by sin. This is King David, Psalms 51.5. Listen to what David says. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's not saying that my mother committed adultery or fornicated and I was born out of wedlock. He's saying I was born a sinner. David, of all people, knows this, an adulterer, a murderer. David knows that he was born a sinner. Romans 3 tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. It even goes on to say, none does good, not even one. It says no one seeks for God. Further on in Romans 3, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We're all slaves to sin. We're bound by it. But you see, often we think we're the master and sin is the slave. All too often we think we can handle it. I won't go too far. Just a little bit. We justify our sin. And we, before we know it, it's taken us further than we thought we'd go. Our culture calls us to answer our soul's cry, that inward cry of freedom. It tells us to, to pacify it, that we can find this freedom through sinful freedom, through whatever that might be, through adultery, through fornication, through, through drugs, through, through whatever means that the world tells us we might receive freedom. And so what we do is we, we, we really doubt God's sovereignty. And we think just a little bit of sin, that's not that big of a deal. So we progress, we dabble, and then before we know it, we don't even need to be tempted we willfully add links onto the chain that binds us. We're bound by sin. Jesus tells us in verse 24, if we just look up the page a little bit, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe in God, the wrath of God still remains on you. And what is what is the worst thing that comes from this? Friends, look at verse 35. Jesus says the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If you are a slave to sin, you cannot remain in God's house. You cannot remain in Father God's house. Only his children remain in his house. As slaves to sin, we cannot remain we cannot even abide in Christ. We can't be in Him. We can't be in the Father's house. Only His children can remain in the Father's house. Chapter 1, 
verse 12. We read it a couple weeks ago. But to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what happened? He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To all who received him and believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. It is only through Christ that we can remain in the Father's house. We need a Savior. What does Jesus say? He says, verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not free kind of, not free sort of, not free maybe. Free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is the one who sets us free. He's the way. He's the truth. And he is the life. Jesus is the truth that all disciples receive. He sets us free. Chapter 1, verse 29, when um, John the Baptist was baptizing the wilderness and Jesus walks up, do you remember what John says? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what Jesus came to do, to take away the sin of the world. For those who would believe. And how does Jesus free us from the bondage of sin? Chapter 10, verse 15 in this very book says, He laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. And so the latter part of Romans 6.23 that tells us the wages of sin is death, it tells us that the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus sets us free. He lays down his life and he absorbs the Father's wrath. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 tells us that we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, from that sin that we inherited. And we weren't ransomed with perishable things, it tells us, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus paid the price that we might be set free. Jesus paid the price that we might be his children for those who believe and put their trust in him. And not only does Jesus free us, he pays the price, but he gives us a power. You see, scripture says that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. So as, as, as Christians, as believers, we're not able on our own to free ourselves from sin, let alone resist sin. We cannot on our own defeat the temptation of sin. So the Savior who paid the price now gives the power. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit empowers us. It gives us victory over sin. This is what Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You see, it's not that we won't sin anymore. It's that we're able not to. So when we're tempted, through the power of God's Spirit, we're able to to say no to that temptation. Christ is both the price and then he makes a way for the power. The blood of Jesus freed us from the penalty and the Holy Spirit frees us from the power of sin. We're no longer slaves. We're sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 5.17, great passage, tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. How does Jesus finish talking with those who believed? Remember those who believed? The many from verse 30. In verse 37 and 38 we read, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. 
Yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Verse 44, he, says, he tells him, your father's the devil. Did you catch what he said? Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. When we abide in Jesus, Jesus abides in us. When we abide in his word, his word abides in us. We're true disciples. These people who seem to believe were not true disciples. They did not abide in God's word, and so his word didn't abide in him. And we see that they seek to kill him. Friends, it is only through Christ... It's only through Christ that we can be free from the bondage of slavery. Christian, here's the thing I want to tell you, Christians. Remember that you've been free from slavery. You've been free from the slavery of sin. And you carry freedom papers. God's Spirit lives in you. And you're free. Don't fall back into bondage. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.1 tells us, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christian, stand firm, remain, abide, be in Christ and Christ in you. You have freedom papers. You have God's spirit in you to defeat the enemy's temptation. You are no longer slaves to to sin. Stand firm, abide, be in Christ. May he be your all. May you be satisfied in him. May you always run to him. May you always find your rest in him. For those who are not in Christ, you are still a slave to sin. You are bound by the shackles of sin slave. You will never experience freedom. There isn't anything in this world that you can do to try to satisfy that soul's desire for freedom. You will pursue sinful pleasures, but you will not find freedom in them. They will result in death. Apart from believing in Jesus A slave cannot remain in the father's house. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And just as a newborn baby cries out, cry out today. If you're still a slave to sin, cry out to God And I pray that through his grace, he might deliver you.